Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having, put on, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breast, breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, and with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword, and the sword of the spirit, which, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Lord, we are new creations, and the old has gone and the new has come. And you call us to live in this new self filled with the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. And yet, our old self still lingers, Lord, and, and sometimes creeps up. And so as we are on this journey of sanctification, becoming more and more like you, uh, we ask that you would shape us and mold us, let your words be just prominent so that we may obey you, that we may conform to your likeness, and so that we may be the salt and light you've called us to be. We thank you for this morning and for everyone listening. Open our hearts. May it be soft to receive your word. This is your incredible gift of grace to us. We love you and your word, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We are going through a series, um, and we call it Let's Do Better, knowing that in Jesus Christ, we have been called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so we're trying to tackle everyday challenges in this new year, because as we look at 2020, sometimes our worst enemy wasn't outside of us, but it was inside of us. And even for Christians, we are really good at shooting ourselves in the foot. And so by the grace of God, we, we chug along, and every day we ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, make me who you want me to be. And so today, uh, we're going to address a topic, let's argue better. And that doesn't mean we want you to be arguers, people who argue all the time. It means we always face conflict one way or the other. And when we face conflict, how are you at addressing conflict in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. Sometimes we could be right, but we ruin the relationship. Sometimes we could be factually correct, but we burn bridges. So what is a way that God wants us to manage and argue conflict? And as not just personal, but as systems, as people groups, as a nation. And as we think about our nation, 
we realize, boy, God, we really need to learn how to address conflict in a way that honors you. So I want to just start by saying conflict is not a sin. And if we, when we address conflicts and we have this tension with someone else, conflicts in and of themselves are not sin. So in Ephesians 4.26 earlier, Paul writes, be angry, be in conflict, and you're going you're gonna to get confronted or you're going to have arguments, and do not sin. So there's a separation where conflicts can lead us into sin, but that tension in and of itself is not sin. I'll give you an example. When people marry one another, Les and Leslie Parrott, who wrote the Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, they discovered this truth. It is not the number of fights that a couple has that correlates to divorce. In other words, having a lot of fights, the number of fights a couple has, is not correlated to divorce. What does correlate to divorce? It's how they fight that correlates to divorce. It's not the number of fights. It's how a husband and wife fight that correlates to eventually divorcing. And so we want to learn how to handle conflict well in marriage, in relationships, in church, in government, in business world. And so Christians of all people, we have to develop this because we have something special. We have the Holy Spirit and we have a calling that God's given us. And so in this good news that we have from God, he has given us more than we need to do this well. Let's, let's hear it. So, so I want to turn to Ephesians 6 today, and we read this just now. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's going to be the devil, and the devil is trying to tear us down, and he's trying to break us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ultimately, our enemy is the devil. And what Paul is saying, he's not saying our fight is only with the devil, but it's not only with the devil. Our fights are with physical people, our neighbors, our, sometimes our family. But it's not only in the human realm. Behind every tension and every broken relationship, Satan loves provoking that and ruining that, and breaking that. And so, if you notice the words that he says, authorities, cosmic powers, um, rulers, spiritual forces, in everything we look at, we realize it's not just a human problem, but this is a spiritual problem. So the devil's schemes are intertwined in human institutions. So when you fight with your spouse, that doesn't mean she's a devil or he's a devil, but in that tension... Behind it, there are spiritual dynamics that we can fall into. So Paul says, put on the armor of God. So how do we fight against the devil's scheme? He repeats again, take up the whole armor of God. He says it two times. How do you fight? How do you resist? How do you fight well? Because we're in a world where there's arrows flying all the place. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I really believe we are seeing the example of that evil day today. And it doesn't mean the end of the world's coming. It, it can. Of course, we don't know when Jesus comes. But the point of this is, when the time comes for you to be tested and tempted, be ready with the armor of God. 
and we could stand when we have this. So I want to show you an illustration. So we have two glasses of water. And so this is an orange, and it has no peel. And the question for you, if kids at home, will it sink or will it float? Okay, let's see. <laughs> Had no chance. <laughs> no chance. So without a protective cover, without a shield, without, without a breastplate, without a helmet, the orange just drops. But here's another orange. With, with, that's not peeled. That's in its protective layer. You probably know what's going to happen. Will it sink or will it float? It floats. So this simple, silly illustration shows how true Christians, we need to walk in this life. To stand against the devil's schemes, we need to have the armor of God. So I'm going to put that aside for now. And so there are a lot of practical, practical, practical lessons we can learn from the armor of God when it comes to dealing with conflict with one another. So I'd like to study that with you and go through it. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're at Ephesians 6 verse 10, and we'll look into each one as we realize, boy, that next conflict, that next debate, the next political crisis or just a family dinner, how do I address that tension in a way that's healthy, that's honoring to God, and it's not stumbled by, Christ, by Satan. So let's go into the first one. The first, Paul says, the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Put on the whole armor of God, buckle your belt of truth. And what that is saying here, this is my own wording, is, is there truth in your words, in your arguments, in your thinking? Is there truth in the way you're processing these things? Um, another name for the devil, did you know it's adversary? And another name for the devil is also liar. In John 8, 44, Jesus actually calls Satan the father of lies. And so because deceit is Satan's main power, it's not fear, it's not scaring you, it's not even like physical harm. You know, when you see movies of a girl with like a head spinning around, you're like, oh, that's a devil. No, devil's greatest weapon for us is to use deceit, false information, lies. And so as those who stand for God's truth, one of the first things in arguments when we approach issues and tension is, is there truth in this situation? So we ask questions like, as God's people, what is true? Is there a misunderstanding in this situation? Uh, one of my favorite advice to married couples or, or people in relationships that don't get along is, give that person the benefit of doubt until the very end, until it's proven to be a false. Don't jump to conclusions. That's helped many times. Is there a misunderstanding? Uh, I like this I fall into a lot. Are you exaggerating? Is there an exaggeration? Oh, the way she yelled at me, she was like a monster, and I was like a little child, and she wanted to eat me alive. Is there an exaggeration? We live in truth. And I think this is a question that Christ followers ask. Do I have even the humility to seek truth, even if I'm real, found to be wrong? We're truth seekers. And so in the Roman, Roman world, the soldiers would have a big robe and they would have all these uh, clothing draped over them. And what holds it together so when they fight, they don't trip over their robes is this belt. The belt holds their uniform together and they can harness their sword in it. 
So the belt is symbolic that Paul is saying truth holds all things together. When integrity is compromised, when lies come into our life, we stumble, we fall astray. I love, I love clarity. Um, when people have confusion, I find in church world where there's a lot of tension, about half of them, literally half of the issues could be resolved by clarity. But sometimes, instead of clarifying, we just react, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But clarity to see the truth together is what brings health. And C.S. Lewis says this um, in Screwtape Letters. He's quoting the demons, and demons are saying this about us. This is a demon talking now. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. The more truth and God's word is out of our minds, the demons rejoice and say, we got them. It's not lies only, but it's a lack of truth in our thoughts. So, the belt of truth. Next one, the breastplate of righteousness. And the question here is, as we go into conflict and confrontations is, is purity, well, our purity and moral uprightness in you? Is there this desire for purity and uprightness in us? And so righteousness is, is literally right standing with God. Righteousness is a gift we receive from God, from Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We have righteousness with God, right standing with God, not by anything we do, but what we receive from the work of Jesus Christ. So we have this right standing. Is there righteousness lived out, obedience to God, through that right standing with God? And so this is so practical because I'm going to show you how. Um, Peter says this, Live such good lives among the pagans. Why? That though they accuse you, slander you, hurt you, attack you, persecute you of doing wrong, here's your out. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What is Peter saying? This is the breastplate of righteousness. You live such good lives that no matter what people say to slander you, to break you down, to destroy you, your life is your testimony. Your righteous living, your righteousness lived out, that proves in the long run, that vindicates you. Sometimes the best thing we could say is to not say anything at all. It's how we live it out. And I remember in, uh, after 9-11 in New York City, uh, a lot of Christians wore their church shirts and volunteered to clean up the mess, apartments that were strewn and offices for free. And Christians noticed that because of their volunteer and hard work, unbelievers were coming up to them and asking about God. They would never go to church in New York City. They, they're not going to go to become a faithful followers. But when they saw the good deeds of these followers of Christ, they were warmed up. They were invited in. And so has your life matched what you say? Does your life reflect the righteousness that we receive from God? We never earned righteousness, but we could live it out because we have received it for free in Jesus Christ. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and this is one of his quotes. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, being right, even though it's temporarily defeated, 
is stronger than evil triumphant? Does your life project the truth in these conflicts? So Paul goes on. The next is feet fitted with the gospel. Verse 15, he writes, uh, <laughs> and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so shoes makes a show, soldier agile. Think about it. The, the boots that they wear, or if they wore flip-flops, they probably wouldn't be as effective in mud and terrain. The sure-footed soldier is the one who has peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is having this peace based on the assurance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In conflicts, disruptions, and even arguments, how is the good news of Jesus Christ present? Now, let me explain. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners to forgive them as he went to the cross. He redeemed sinners and lost people, and they are saved by his sacrifice. He rose again, and in Christ we rise again too. And this gospel is for all people. This is the heartbeat of our church. This is the message of our church to the world, that God is not a God who rejoices in condemning us, but he has given us his son. And so when we think about that, the issue we, when we go into confrontation is, is there grace and is there truth and is there a hope for reconciliation? This is, this is our objective as well as our peace. Those who have received grace can give grace. Those who have peace with God are those who yearn for others to have this peace of God. And the gospel is a message that we are to take to the world. And it's not people waving Jesus banners and Christ and, and yelling at them to say, how dare you, you're all sinners condemned. That's not the way, I don't think that's how Jesus did it. The way he did it was through this humble act of love. The message of truth is just consistently he never beat people over the head to come to follow him, but he showed them as he carried that cross to Golgotha. So if I could summarize all of that, the God, the, our shoes, our feet are fitted and firm with peace in the gospel when we show unconditional love. Unconditional love. And let me give you an example of what it doesn't look like, and this we do a lot. Uh, Carrie Patterson, she wrote a book called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. And I read this book a long time ago, but I love this little, little imagery. I'll read it for us. Let's say that your significant other has been paying less and less attention to you. You realize he or she has a busy job, but you still would like more time together. You drop a few hints about the issue, but you lo your loved one doesn't handle it well. You decide not to put in added pressure, so you clam up. Of course, since you're not all that happy with the arrangement, your displeasure now comes out through an occasional sarcastic remark. Another late night, huh? I've got Facebook friends I see more often. Unfortunately, and here's where the problem becomes self-defeating, the more you snip and snap, the less your loved one wants to be around you. So your significant other spends even less time with you, and and you become even more upset, and the spiral continues. Your behavior is now actually creating the very thing you didn't want in the first place. You're caught in an unhealthy, self-defeating loop. And this is why we need our feet fitted with the certainty and the peace of the gospel. 
that we are loved unconditionally. So in this argument, we love unconditionally. We don't climb up. Let me go on. The next is shield of faith, Paul writes. And, and the question I think that came to my mind as I thought about this in debates and arguments and high tension, do not be trigger happy. What do shields do? They're, they're covered with fur and they're soaked in water. So when enemies shoot arrows with fire at the tip, it extinguishes the flames. And this is the imagery that Paul is saying. Let your faith extinguish the attacks from the enemy. And so faith is a good shield to have this confidence in God, to trust in God. And we could even ask God for more of it in Mark 9, 24. And so what does it look like in our life? You know those moments when you're reading social media and somebody posts something or that really touches a nerve? And it could even be outlandishly wrong. And so you, this little Pharisee in you comes out and you're like, you're ready to type and just destroy their argument. <laughs> in those moments, that's a provocation that the enemy likes to use to create this constant conflict. Whoever got convinced by reading Facebook post arguments of the other side? Did you ever change your mind on your position by reading a lot of posts? No, usually not. Usually you flame and you troll and you do all those things. And the arrows of attacks, lies, slanders, provocation, you want to hit back. You want to text that text. You want to send that email. And in those moments, it's good to pause and fall back on your faith. And it's not to have a knee-jerk reaction. It's not to be trigger-happy. But the way we are so inflamed these days is to rest and put our confidence back in God. So resist that nasty comment. Resist that itch to have the final word. Some, how many of you are those guys or women who love to have the final word? It just, you just can't let it go. I'm like that. And so, boy, these things are just ripping my heart. And you can't wait with burning emotion to post that angry post to show everyone who's watching your Facebook what is truth, and you think they're waiting for you to post it? No. And so the trigger finger to shoot back, we snuff it out, and we say, Lord, you're my refuge and my rock. You're my confidence. And walking away sometimes is a greater act of faith than attacking people, especially on text and social media. One of the best things I learned as a pastor was you never, ever write an angry email. If you do, make sure you delete it. Better to take a moment, cool off, call the persons, and say, can we have coffee together and talk? So this is where the shield of faith comes in, where we could just extinguish the flames where it creates a burning inferno in our lives. Helmet of salvation, my worth is in Christ alone. This is what the helmet of salvation is saying. You strike the head, kill the body. That's a saying, right? In high tension and division, the lie of Satan could be this. We hear this. You're not good enough. No one likes you. You're all alone. Even God abandoned you. And so when we hear these words, when we literally hear it or we feel it, we fall back on the helmet of salvation, the security that we have, that Christ has redeemed me. And so the thoughts we have are these. My security, my assurance, my worth, my peace is already resolved. They are in Jesus Christ. He says, I am worthy. And I stand not by my performance, my intelligence, because I'm more strong, powerful than you, 
but I stand only by the grace of Christ who has called me from death to life. So our identity is not in America. It's not in Republicans or Democrats. It's not in even this church. Our identity is Jesus Christ. This is the helmet of salvation, that we are, we are already locked in into his family. And so you know what happens when you have this? This is how it looks. You could turn the other cheek. You could pray for your enemies. And you could bless those who persecute you. Everything Jesus said, only possible because our certainty and hope is because Jesus Christ has done that for us. So put on the helmet of salvation. And then there's last two. is actually two offensive weapons. I always learned it as there's only one offensive weapon, which is a sword. sword. But there's actually two if you read the text carefully. The first is this, verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So the first is the Word of God. So our only offense is the Word of God. And how does this look? This does not mean you quote Scripture to attack the other person, nor, as we did in the 19th century, use Scripture to, to support slavery. Some people use it even today to support domestic abuse of husbands beating up their wives. No, that is not what Paul is saying here. What this means is let God's word guide your values, principles, and truth in this point. Don't pray God be on my side. As you look at God's word and as you think about it, are your values along on the, akin to God? This Bible is 1,600 years old put together in the modern way, 1,600 years old, and it has stood firmly. And so this is what Paul writes in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And so when people are like, I know this, there's this, there's this, there's conspiracies or there's that, they're wrong. One of the questions I'd like to ask is, hey, when's the last time you read the Bible? <laughs> it's been a while. You know, make sure your thoughts and your opinions are saturated in the Word of God. Because this is what Moses said to Joshua. The, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The Word of God has to be our driving force not a person, not a pastor, not any human leader, but Jesus Christ, and let the word guide our discernment. And so the sword is the word. But as I wrap up, did you catch the last few verses that Ethan read? As I read this, look at how many times Paul references prayer in different words, way. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, praying for them, and also for me, praying for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is saying, this is why I live. The gospel of Christ has to be prominent and told 
that the world would know Jesus Christ. And the way we're going to get there is not by fighting poorly. It's not by standing up politically, but it's through the word of God coming through our mind and our mouths and through prayer. And so here's a practical thing. For every, we say this a lot, for every criticism you give anyone, make sure that you pray for that person at least five times. It's impossible, I found. I hate it. I'm just being transparent. When there's an enemy and I pray for them, it's impossible to keep hating them. And I think that's why Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Because the way God wins in this kingdom is not defeating our enemies, but it's defeating sin. And the way God allows the church to stand is through the armor of God as he equips us with the spirit and to show us Jesus Christ has already defeated the enemy. Your job, my job, is to love him, pursue him in his purpose. Let us be great at arguing 